Welcome in to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. We're the podcast for Vol Basketball fans everywhere. We bring you discussions, debates, and the latest news on the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. Hello everyone and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, and joining me for this episode, I have a guest host, a, a special guest host for this episode, Blake Lovell. He covers the SEC and is one of the main guys over at the 14, which is the Southeastern 14. If you don't know about them, go check them out. They cover basically everything uh, college athletics in the SEC, football, basketball, baseball. Uh, Blake is a, a very fantastic follow on Twitter. He you know mentions different stuff about all those sports. So if you like any college athletics in, in the SEC, of the kind of the main trio of sports at least, of football, basketball, and baseball. He is your guy. So, Blake, thank you for joining me to come on here and talk about Tennessee hoops and, and a little bit of SEC hoops as well. Yeah, I always enjoy uh, talking with you, Nathaniel. And, yeah, it's um, you and I were laughing before we started. It's, I mean, basketball season is year-round now. Like, it's, I feel like we used to say that, but, man, especially this off season, like, it's something every day. And I, I was joking earlier with someone about – if you ask me right now to name the top eight players on every single SEC team, all 14, I don't know that I could do it. Most years, I feel like I could do that. But, like, this year, it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot that this guy transferred in, that guy's there, and, you know, <laughs> Tennessee's one of those teams too, right? I mean, I, I can I, I can tell you who's on Tennessee, but it's like that's another roster that you're just going to have, you know, pretty much a whole different look uh, than what you had a season ago. So. Yeah, and that's going to be our, our main kind of discussion point here in this podcast. But I do want to say up front, uh, full disclosure, we are recording this in advance. We're recording this um, on about Friday afternoon uh, on May 7th. And this will be, will be coming out, I believe, either late Sunday night or sometime early Monday morning. Um, I will be on vacation this upcoming week, so I wanted to have something kind of in the docket ready to go for you guys so we didn't miss a week. So we are recording this ahead of time. So if anything does happen over the weekend and we're not talking about it, uh, that's why. Uh, so hopefully, though, like you said, I know this is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week type of thing at this point in the offseason, but hopefully nothing big happens for Tennessee that we'll be missing out on. But, Blake, I brought you on here to talk about Tennessee and then kind of the SEC at large as well when it comes to transfers and the roster reconstruction and everything for really a lot of teams, but specifically with Tennessee. And I want to mention in, in the broader scope here um, a really interesting, really cool article that I saw written by Andrew Hutchinson, um, who writes for Hogbeat, which is, a, I think, the Royals affiliate for Arkansas. And he he didn't just write about what Arkansas did in the transfer portal and stuff. He broke down everything in the SEC in terms of, you know, guys transferring from one SEC, SEC school to another, all, every single team and how many guys they have tre- leaving the program, how many guys they brought in uh, with transfers and with uh, recruiting and everything, where those guys come from, whether they're power conference, whether they're SEC schools or whether they're other schools. And this is, it's, I think, a little outdated. I don't know if there's been any other big transfers or anything notable transfers in or out of the SEC um, since this came out, I think, a week ago. I feel like there probably has been. But this is, even just with these numbers right here, at the time of writing this article, unless it's been updated and doesn't say, you had 62 total departures out of the SEC <laughs> this offseason. And Tennessee had four of those. Uh, one of them was a senior, you know, with... Um, Eve Pons, but you had a, a, you know a few guys transferred, a few guys declare early and and going into the NBA. That, that doesn't even you know that doesn't even cover the guys going into the NBA. That's just with transfers. That doesn't count guys who you know like a Keon Johnson or a Jaden Springer who declared early for the NBA draft. So that's just four transfers slash you know I guess maybe I mean I think it's just talking about transfers. Yeah, it doesn't talk about Eve Pons. It's talking about EJ Anasiki who's a transfer as a senior. So that's just specifically with transfers, not in, not including graduating seniors, not including guys going to the NBA, there's 62 out of the league. As of the writing of this article, there were 47 transfers that were, have been brought into the league. And you look at teams like Texas A&M, Missouri, LSU, Georgia, Florida, Auburn, Arkansas, all of those had four, and South Carolina, um, all had four or more at this point they brought in. A&M had five, and every other team that I mentioned had four. And a lot of those were guys from power conferences, but you had, you know, with Missouri's case, three from a, a non-kind of power conference, a, a, a you know, mid-major type of school or lower division or whatever. And same thing with South Carolina, three of their four came from non-power conference type of, of programs in college basketball. And one of the things I want to talk about, Blake, before we get into kind of some SEC talk um, in kind of general, looking specifically at Tennessee, they brought in one transfer, Justin Powell, you know, who came from 
Um, Auburn played 10 games there and looked good in those 10 games before having a concussion and sitting out the rest of the year uh, because of complications from those con- that concussion and just play it safe. It, it, you know, for a year, Auburn wasn't going to go to the postseason, so, you know, why risk a whole lot, really, right. honestly? Um, they bring in him. But otherwise, most of Tennessee's other, or all of Tennessee's other roster reconstruction this offseason has been through recruiting. You, you've obviously already had Kennedy Chandler and Jemai Meshack signed on. Then you get commitments from Quentin DeBonje. You get uh, Adu to commit to you. And then you also get Brandon Huntley Hatfield. So of the six guys Tennessee is bringing in, and, you know, they still have room for a couple more. So we'll see if they, you know, make any more additions and things like that in the transfer portal or in the recruiting. But as of right now, you know, of those six guys they're bringing in that are new to the program for next season, only one of them is a transfer, and five of them are guys who are going to be freshmen. And one of those freshmen is a guy who reclassified and is going to be, you know, pretty young next season coming in. Blake, my, my question to you is looking at kind of the landscape of the SEC, you know, just looking at just looking at the SEC night, looking at all the rest of the college basketball, looking at the SEC and college basketball at large, should Tennessee have done should they have done more roster additions through the transfer portal, or or do you think it's smart of them to kind of go a little bit heavier on the recruiting front because they're the only team in the SEC as of the writing of this article that had just one transfer. Every other program was bringing in at least two. Alabama had two at this point. Mississippi State has two. Uh, Vanderbilt Ole Miss have three. Um, And so it's Kentucky. I think Kentucky's probably, I can't remember if they've added one since then or if they're looking for another one or not, but it's Tennessee's kind of the outlier of bringing in just one guy. They've had a lot of guys leave the program but they've only brought in one transfer and five recruits. Do you yeah. think that's a, a good play? You know, I, I'm curious your thoughts when you look at the kind of the overall landscape of the SEC in college basketball. That if Tennessee should have brought in, so can I guess, but if they should have brought in more transfers as opposed to being a more recruiting heavy overhaul. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a fascinating question because I think, you know, it's going to be interesting this season because I, I, I'll just say up front, I think this next season is just going to be nuts from the standpoint that because you do have so many guys that are joining a specific team, you know, whether it's through freshmen, whether it's through older transfers or whatever, you know, the chemistry aspect to me is always going to be the one thing that I think is very hard to predict in terms of, all right, we can compare teams. Uh, maybe one team is way more experienced, kind of loaded up with the older guys and the transfer portal, maybe your team like Tennessee, who is really loaded up on younger guys, but they're really talented younger guys. Uh, but I still think the difference is going to be, okay, the chemistry, it's all about that. And how does that come together for all these teams? And I think if you, if you look at it from that standpoint, I don't know that you could say one way or the other that maybe Tennessee, you know, should be at fault or, or for not going for more of the, you know, older type of guys that, in most spots you feel like are probably going to be those guys that a lot of these sec teams, like you said, I mean, if you're an A&M or if you're, I mean, a team like Georgia or South Carolina, like you're going to have to plug those guys in and they're going to have to play a lot because, you know, otherwise you don't really have the roster construction to be able to justify not playing those guys right away. Like those are all guys who are transferring in to play 20, 25 plus minutes a game. Um, Whereas for Tennessee, you know, a lot of these freshmen are going to have to do the same thing. And, of course, you know, what's the difference, right? The guys that are transferring in maybe at a higher level uh, that have already played two or three years of college or more, um, they have that extra experience of already kind of knowing the grind, knowing the the process. You've played in the SEC. Uh, maybe you've played some of these high-profile non-conference games, whereas, like you said, a lot of these guys at Tennessee is going to be featuring next year necessarily haven't been in that spot. Um, so I think it's, it, it's interesting to think about, but I don't know that I would sit back and just say, well, I don't know that Tennessee did enough in the transport portal just because, you know, is Kennedy Chandler going to be as good as a lot of these transfers that are coming in elsewhere? I think so. Uh, I think he's, you know, probably still going to be one of the better players, you know, at that position in the league without question. Um, you know, and, and so I think you have to compare it like that. And it always goes back to the experience versus, um, youth thing that we've had for years with Kentucky and, and even Duke, of course, to an extent now, since they've moved more towards that, uh, the one and dones and all, and all those things. So uh, I think this year it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, but I don't think I would just sit back and say, well, because Tennessee's young and they're going to be 
like you just said, I mean, if you just look at the numbers, Tennessee's going to be one of the younger teams in the SEC just because so many other teams have added that many transfers that are older. Uh, but if you say who's going to be the most talented team in the SEC, I still think Tennessee, talent-wise, is going to be right there near the top with Alabama, you know, with Kentucky, with Arkansas, teams like that. Um, and then I think it's just a matter of seeing how everything comes together and, and can they quickly sort of make up some of that ground that maybe other teams are further along on with, you know, the older guys who are more experienced and don't have to adjust to certain things. That's where I think you look at with Tennessee and say, are they going to rely on too many guys that maybe that adjustment process is a little bit longer? But also, Nathaniel, the one thing we have to keep in mind, this offseason, at least right now, is going to look dramatically different than last offseason. And I think that's going to go a long way, too, to kind of help them get through that process. That's a good point, because last offseason, you didn't have an offseason, essentially. Yeah. You had you know guys like Keon Johnson, Jaden Springer, trying to adjust to college life they didn't get to have a traditional offseason they, they didn't get to do the things that you normally get to do um you know with conditioning with your teammates practicing with your teammates and, and everything like that it, it was a very different offseason that's one reason why i think you saw those guys you know specifically them they weren't utilized as much early on they're still playing you know they're still getting 15 20 minutes a game early on this season but it, that's one reason why i think you saw them come on strong stronger as the season or last month or so of the year of the season excuse me because Rick Barnes trusted them more because at that point you know they had they, they'd had experience if, they, if they'd been able to come in and you know have a traditional offseason everything who knows you know what would have happened obviously Fulkerson he has COVID and that really bothers him for the for the season as well and you could tell it just watching him on the on the court you could tell something was up and then he came out and revealed you know they did he did have COVID during the year and that was <laughs> it was pretty obvious to any, any yeah. ball fan who'd watched in the last three years that he was not himself this past season um no you bring up a good point about Kennedy Chandler you know I, I definitely think he as long as he stays healthy I think he will live up to I don't know. I, I don't, I'm curious what the hype is for him because I I, I think Vol fans it kind of varies to degrees because I think people do realize he's going to be a true freshman that's going to be counted on to be your primary ball handler that can work. But you know, I'm not expecting him to go out and average you know 15 and seven, you know 15.7 yeah. assists or anything like that. But I do, so I don't know what exactly the hype is. But if he if he lives up to kind of even like the baseline hype of what media members and, and some fans have for him, I agree with you. He's going to be better than you know. 90 to 95 percent of the transfers Tennessee could have landed and I, I also think it's interesting you look at a lot of the other transfers these other teams have brought in in the SEC and a fair amount of them are guys who have been at other programs for you know a year two three or you know sometimes the the smaller school guys coming in who've been there for three or four years and are wanting to go to a, you know a bigger pond essentially be you know playing higher level um high major basketball the one guy Tennessee brought in, I think, has an, a very high amount of potential in Justin Powell, but he's not too much different than a than a true freshman. He played ten yeah. games last year and got hurt and then sat out because you know you want to keep him healthy. And, and from everything I've heard, and when I had Brian Stoltz on here, covered uh, covers Auburn basketball, mentioned that 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 concussion was really bad. I mean, he was in a dark room for a while. It had a lot of you know just kind of long term, just the healing process was not fun and concussions are not fun to heal from uh so i mean the guy tennessee brought in as a transfer isn't even like a a, a transfer who you know, look at what xavier pinson is for lsu a guy who's played in the in the league but he's played in the league for a couple years powell played 10 games and only played two sec games granted one of those 10 games was against gonzaga which you know <laughs> they were a pretty darn good team this year obviously um but I, I, even tennessee's transfer to me isn't on the same level in terms of experiences other caliber wise I think Justin Powell has a really high ceiling and can be a really good player but just even looking at that like he's still essentially I mean kind of a sophomore but not really like he, he's almost like a to me like a, a, a in football like a redshirt freshman a guy who you, you threw in there for four games and then were able to redshirt him and bring him in next year and still retains that year of eligibility he, he played in a, a you know maybe a, just you know just over a third of the games Auburn played last year and the bulk of those were in non-conference games where you had a, a couple of good tests for for him and Auburn in those non-conference games but I mean let's be honest probably like 60 to 70 percent or probably 60 percent of the the 10 games he played were against inferior opponents so I, yeah. I even with him there's a question mark in my opinion and I, I'm, a, I'm a big Justin Powell fan but I gotta admit like 
there's some question marks there with him. Yeah, I mean, there there's an adjustment period, and like you said, it's it's a team that, I mean, they are bringing in majority of the guys they're bringing in are like you, they're going to be looked at as pretty much freshmen, and you know most of them are. And like you said with Powell, I mean, he's one that you could certainly justify saying that he is kind of a freshman. So, and you're expecting a lot of these guys to you know play minutes and and be in the rotation. And so I think it's it's easy, probably for Tennessee fans because. They do look at last season and say, well, look at all the hype, like look at all the expectations and where they were. But I would say on the, to counter that, if you compare the two teams, yes, maybe we got a little ahead of ourselves last year and not and didn't focus enough on maybe some of those potential offensive weaknesses and just kind of maybe the overall makeup of the roster in general, um, where you had a lot of good pieces, but I don't know that from a position standpoint, you had a lot of good pieces that necessarily fit into what their role was specifically last year. Whereas this year, I feel like you've got a pretty clearly defined, you've got pretty clearly defined roles up front for everyone, I would think. Um, you know, we've talked about Chandler, like he's your point guard, like that period, like that's it. Like there's no other, like, like he's your guy. Um, and then you talk about Powell, like he's going to come in, he's your shooter, which we know that's an area Tennessee's got to be better at. Um, they they got to be able to shoot much better from outside to kind of counter some of those those offensive weaknesses they had last year. But I think you've got a little bit better understanding of kind of what each of these guys are going to be asked to do. Whereas last year, I felt like we, we sort of lumped everyone together and said, okay, the talent's there. Let's just see if some of these things kind of work themselves out throughout the season. And, and unfortunately, like they really didn't. Uh, for the most part, like the offensive stuff just kept coming back and back and you could never kind of get over that hump. Uh, and of course, the, the stuff you mentioned with Fulkerson too, like I think that was a big aspect because we went into the season thinking, look, this guy could be, you know, first, I mean, he could be SEC player of the year caliber if Tennessee's as good as we think they're going to be. Um, and it just didn't, you know, it just didn't work out for various reasons. So uh, I think that's something that, that I would probably look at too with this team to say, if you're worried about the experience, one thing I would say would be, I feel like you at least have got a pretty much better picture of what this rotation is going to look like in general in terms of positions. If you just pick it out and say, okay, we've got our point guard figured out. We've got our shooters. We know who those guys are going to be. And then maybe you fill in you know, with the other guys like the Huntley Hatfields and all these other different guys that may take a little bit of time to adjust, but they're still very talented. Uh, um, and you do it just out, outside of the scope of experience. I think those are some of the things that stand out to me is just looking at it and knowing that you feel pretty good about where each guy is going to be at in terms of what their system looks like. And I think Rick Barnes has always talked about it like that. It's just a matter of he just wants guys who can play and they'll work they'll work things around them. Like they'll they'll find a way to put everyone in the right spot. Uh, unfortunately, last year, like you said, it just did not work out for whatever reason. But I think this year you got a little bit more clearly defined uh, rotation in terms of where guys could be at. And maybe that helps a little bit from the start and, and as we've talked about i think having the normal off season too you get a much better picture of what where things are going to be at and you're able to work out a lot of those um kind of kinks a bit in the off season versus having to do it you know throughout december because i mean we have to remember too right they didn't even start playing until early december last year um so i think that's something to where those are the kind of things that i think it, it makes it hard to compare last year and this upcoming season but if you're looking at some of the things that could stand out, uh, th those are a few that I, I would point out. In the, the landscape of the SEC this offseason, for Tennessee specifically, would you say it, it's fair to, to classify them as, I, I guess, like a, a, a winner or like a top of the league in terms of this offseason? Obviously, the offseason is still going on. I think <laughs> there's still hundreds and hundreds of guys in the transfer portal. So, right. I mean, and, and schools like Tennessee still have, you know, a couple spots remaining. Tennessee, we, we've talked... Uh, Gene and I did. Um, I don't know if it was, it was the last episode. It was the episode before last about you know Tennessee still has two spots available. Are they going to save one for next year? Because it looks like you know there's a good chance that Tennessee is going to land Andre Tamba, who is a a, a a seven footer in the 2022 class, who's likely going to reclassify to the 21 class. So if they land him, and, you know that that's going to be obviously another addition to this roster for this upcoming season. Tennessee isn't the only school like that. There's still other SEC schools who can make additions, whether it's in recruiting or um, and, and transfer portal stuff. But as of right now, Blake, would it be fair to classify Tennessee as a, as a winner in this offseason? Because obviously winning on paper with roster additions is one thing. Going out and actually, you know, 
winning on actual court is another. Because I'd say last year, you look at Tennessee's offseason with adding Kennedy, with adding uh, both Keon Johnson, Jaden Springer, getting Corey Walker in, adding EJ and Isiki. I feel like a lot of people would have thought Tennessee had a you know pretty darn good offseason last year. Didn't culminate yeah. because you didn't. Corey Walker didn't play. Ended up transferring. Anisiki was a big letdown. Ended up transferring, and Keon and Jaden were good, but it wasn't like they. I mean, they, they they helped carry Tennessee's team down the stretch, but they were here one season and then gone. And Tennessee overall had a you know a disappointing season last year. So on paper, and early May at this point, I I think it's I think it's fair to put Tennessee up there as a winner. I don't know. That would say like they're they have had the best off season of any SEC school because. I'll get to this in a second with you because I think the, the SEC as a whole has just had a, a phenomenal offseason on paper. Yeah. But I think it's fair to put Tennessee as a, you know, one of the top five, maybe top four in the SEC in terms of the, the offseason they've had because they, they needed to reface, you know, restructure their roster and retool it and get some of the guys that are on it, you know, to go look elsewhere and, you know, go to the smaller schools and stuff like they have. And I think they've done a good job with making those replacements. And as you mentioned, you know, not just adding guys to be adding guys, but adding guys that right. <laughs> are going to fit your system and actually fit the roles better than what you had last year. Right. And you, you just said it like, you know, when you're comparing teams, like you look around at teams like A&M and South Carolina and some of those, like they're, they've added some good players, but like they've had no choice. Like they, they have mm-hmm. to add players to be able to fill the rotation next year at this point. Um, you know, George is another one of those cause they've lost, you know, as many guys as they have too. So like those teams have had to add guys and yes, it's probably good that they've added some of them, but do they compare, you know, th- those are teams we're going to be projecting at the lower part of the conference. Uh, whereas the teams like Tennessee, you know, I think Alabama, even though, you know, they've only landed two transfers, they probably landed two of the best transfers just in terms of their, their system and Amari Burnett and Noah Gurley. Um, so I think Alabama's a big winner. I think Arkansas, Kentucky, Tennessee, Auburn. Like, I think those five really stand out. I mean, Florida's one, too. That I mean, Florida's added a bunch of guys, but I guess, you know, they're kind of in that middle where they've had to add guys, but they've also right. they've also added some pretty good players. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I don't think I would take away from Florida just because of that because they did lose. You know, we didn't expect you no know, lock and guys like that to leave, but – they've also added some really good talent. So I don't want to knock Mike White for doing that just because, yes, he's had to replace guys, but he's done a pretty effective job, I think, of doing so. Um, so I think those teams, and like I mean, like I said, it's almost half the conference I just mentioned, um, but like like it is. And I think overall, when you look at Tennessee, like we said, it, it's not that, yes, they've only added Justin Powell, but Justin Powell addresses a need. And he addresses a shooting need that a team absolutely needed. You know, we know, I mean, we know it. That, that was just one of the biggest things you look at and can point out and say, all right, if this guy lives up to his potential, he's going to address a need that we had to fix going into next season. And then with everyone else, you know, you have a true point guard, you feel like overall now, even as, as good as, you know, Jaden Springer and, and Keon Johnson were, and you go up and down the line, like this guy is your sort of traditional point guard type player. And I think, that's that's good and then you go up and down the line with all the other guys they've added um so yes i don't i don't think there's any doubt that i would put tennessee in that category of teams that that have had you know the most successful just based on what we can go on on paper um but but yeah i think you put them in that group even if they are a little bit further down maybe than than alabama or um, you know auburn or kentucky or teams like that they're still in that conversation just because i think they've addressed some of the needs that, that they had to fix Looking at that broader picture and kind of where Tennessee fits into it, I'm looking right here at an article on The Athletic that was written um, by Eamon Brennan earlier this week, looking at kind of the, the, the winners and losers, I guess really the, the top 10 winners actually so far of the kind of, as he calls it, the silly season of transfer season right now in, in college basketball. And he had 10 of them, and like li- literally just about half of them, I think maybe over half of them, are SEC schools. Number one, he yeah. has Kentucky. <laughs> Number two, he has Arkansas, which again, Ar- Arkansas and uh, Musselman has, has done a great job in the transfer portal back-to-back seasons. We'll see if he has the same success this year, but obviously that was a, a transfer-heavy team this past year, and they had a lot of success down the stretch. We have Kentucky at number one, Arkansas at number two. You scroll down, and you have Auburn at number five, Alabama at number six, and then I think there's one more. No, that was it. So you have four of the ten are SEC schools, and that's four of the top six are SEC schools. And and two of those are teams that were right there at number one, number two in the league, Alabama and Arkansas. Then obviously Kentucky, again, they, as you mentioned, like a, a, a Florida, kind of had to because 
you don't go nine and sixteen in Kentucky and and just kind of ho hum it. Yeah, you go nine and sixteen in Kentucky and you're making massive off season changes. And they've they've had several guys leave. Um, I think you know Mintz declared for the draft. But I think he's still eligible to return. Uh, but they've gone in and they they've made a, a pretty good additions this past year. Obviously, you thought they did last year too with bringing in Olivier Saar, for example. Um, but they've gone in and added several big name players. I'm, I'm trying to find all the names here, but they they went in. You know, Kellen Grady was was kind of the, yeah. the big name for them. They added. Uh, but they also just recently got C.J. Frederick as well. Um, in fact, actually, this this article was written even before C.J. Frederick actually announced his commitment to Kentucky to transfer there. <laughs> so, I mean, right. I think they're especially number one at this point. So it, it's, to me, Blake, how do you think this is going to reflect for the league next year? Because this year, it seemed like it was a very top-heavy league where you knew Alabama and Arkansas were number one, number two by the time the season ended. Obviously, during the season... That was not known, or at least Alabama. I mean, they were known as number one, but you didn't really know who that number two team was until really February when Arkansas started really turning it on and, you know, playing better as a team. But once you got the tournament time, we all pretty much knew it was Alabama, Arkansas. LSU had the offense, but probably not the defense to make, you know, a too considerable of a, a run in the NCAA tournament. Tennessee and Florida would flash at times, but you didn't really trust them. Missouri was waning down the stretch and, and you know, didn't feel like you could trust them in a, a tournament setting either. But I look at what the offseason has has been this year so far for SEC schools, and I think next year the SEC is going to be a little more deep. I think you're going to see that top five, six programs be a little more neck and neck and it not just be necessarily the top two teams and then kind of four teams that are kind of sort of kind of leisurely battling around there for that those next two spots below those guys for the double bye. I think the SEC has gotten better, and I honestly think the SEC may have as a whole – in the power leagues, at least, had the best overall offseason. And that makes me think, you know, as good as Tennessee's offseason has been, they haven't done this in a vacuum. This has been against, again, teams like Kentucky, Arkansas, Alabama, um, Auburn, who have had also very strong offseasons this year. So I'm curious your thoughts on that. You know, is the SEC going to be kind of leaps and bounds better, just kind of a little bit better in your opinion? And what does that mean for a Tennessee team that, you know, should have been easily one of the four top four teams last year in the league, but really only barely got that fourth seed of that, that double bye once it came to the SEC tournament time. I think overall to me, that 18-19 season was as good as the SEC's been in a while. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe it was just because those top teams were so good, right? I mean, we we look up and down. Like, I think it's it's easy to forget. Like, LSU won the regular season that year, but then you had two or three 31 teams behind them, you know, with Kentucky, Tennessee, and, and Auburn. Um, you know, those those top four and, and then even Mississippi State, like they were a five seed. I know they lost in the first round, but like that those that group was really strong. I think there's a potential that this year, one through five, one through six, even maybe one through seven. Like I think that it's gonna be probably as strong as we've seen since then and, and maybe stronger than that uh overall. But you did have some some pretty experienced teams that year too. So I don't know that's mm-hmm. where we talk about balancing the youth and the experience. But I do think there's the potential there for this year to be, you know, the the strongest the SEC's been at least since then, or possibly better than that, which would mean, you know, the strongest the SEC's been in a long, long time. Um, so I think that that potential is certainly there. I think one of the things that is hard to figure out for me is if we we look at some of these teams, which right now I think you you really could, like, and I'm, I'm doing this off the top of my head, like if I could probably make the argument that Alabama, Arkansas. I think even potentially Tennessee are all in that top 12, top 15 range. Um, I think Alabama is easily probably a top five team right now. Arkansas maybe a little bit behind them. And I think Tennessee slightly behind them, at least on paper. Beyond that, you know, Kentucky, I'm willing to give Kentucky that bump just based off of, you know, they are addressing needs. Like Kellen Grady addresses a shooting need. C.J. Frederick addresses a shooting need. Um, Oscar Sheepway, we know how good he can be, you know, how, how good he was at West Virginia. And, you know, you've got some of the young guys coming in too. Um, and I don't know that Kentucky's finished yet, right? Because Severe Wheeler, who was a Georgia, he cut his list and Kentucky's, you know, in the yeah. top four there, I, I, right? I saw so, that before we started recording here. <laughs> yeah, and so it's like, you think about that too. If Kentucky lands Severe Wheeler, then I think that, I mean, Severe Wheeler, I thought he was just, he's a really good player. And, and I think it was easy to poke it you know, his efficiency numbers and all that. But you know what? He played on a bad team. And so that's that's that hurts your numbers sometimes. And if you put him around better talent, I think he has a chance to really. So if he goes to Kentucky, 
that shoots Kentucky up pretty significantly to me. So then you're talking, maybe we're talking about all four of those teams in the top 15, um, you know, kind of just on paper. So if, if you think about it from that standpoint, just those teams alone, and then like we're not even like Auburn, I think too is probably a top 20 team, like right off the bat. I think Auburn's probably in the top 20, uh, you know, maybe top 25, whatever. But I, I do think Auburn's a preseason top 25 team. So that's five teams right there that I feel pretty strongly about. And so you go beyond that. LSU, hard to figure out. I think they they certainly take a step down this year because they're losing all those guys to the NBA. But I do think Florida could very well be in that discussion if we're saying, I don't think Florida's a preseason top 25 team right now, but I think they're right on that that edge. Like, they're they're pretty close. So those are six teams right there. I mean, I, I do. Like, I don't really – yes, you'll have question marks like you will with any team, and you could say, oh, well, they could struggle in this area. That's great, but – I think their strengths certainly outweigh their weaknesses just with those six teams. Um, like I said, I'd probably put LSU a little bit of a tier below of those teams right now. But Mississippi State is the very intriguing team to me because I think Mississippi State has a case for potentially being in that top five, top six type range because we got to remember, man, they've had a good offseason. And I forgot to mention them uh, earlier about, you know, I think the thing is with Mississippi State, it's not as though – now, look, they brought in D.J. Jeffries, who will play right away, Garrison Brooks, who will play. Um, but I think their biggest win was, at least right now, getting their, their three studs back, like getting D.J. Stewart, Iverson Molinar, and Tolu Smith back. So I think Mississippi State's a, a fringe top 25 team, too, to start the season. So that's half the league if we just go off of that. That's why I think it really could be one of those where – this league can can be very strong next year, and, and everyone's going to be talking about the ACC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, and all that, but I think the SEC has a chance to be as strong as it's been in a long time just based off of those teams. Now, if you ask me, do I have any idea what to expect from Georgia, South Carolina, Missouri, <laughs> A&M? Not a clue. Like, I don't know what we're going to see from those teams. Like, Vanderbilt, I think, is an intriguing one, but because they're going to lose Scottie Pippen and Dylan Sue. They would have been a lot more intriguing had they brought the, one of those guys back. But now, you know, mm-hmm. probably not bringing either back. And so, yeah, I think that that hurts Vanderbilt a bit. And then Ole Miss, I don't really have a good feel for Ole Miss right now. I just feel like they're one that it's hard to get a handle on at this point. But, I mean, of, of what you know, like top seven, even eight, if LSU comes along, I mean, they've gotten some good transfers, Xavier Pinson and Seneca Knight and guys like that. But, like, I think top seven or eight, I mean, you're looking at a league that's going to have a chance to get eight teams into the NCAA tournament. Um, and I think the top seven are going to be very, very strong. So yeah, I think this league is going to be really good. And that's what we say, even if Tennessee's better, more consistent, um, doesn't necessarily mean they're going to all of a sudden push back up to the top because there's just so little room for error. And especially in off season like this, where, as you mentioned, I think the SEC's done as good as anyone in the off season. Gina and I talked about a little bit about this in our last episode um, looking at some very early kind of the, the way too early top 25s and stuff for college basketball and, and Tennessee on ESPN for Jeff Borzello had them as the number 16 team in the his way too early top 25. I'm curious if you have an opinion on this. Again, I know this is way too early to, to, to <laughs> reassize that again. Uh, I, I'm curious if you, you know, what as of May, again, early May here, with still like several months of the offseason left and then several months even before we get to, um, you know, teams going to conditioning and things like that together. What do you think are kind of some early fair expectations for this Tennessee program for next year? Because I, I, I told Gene, I was like, I think honestly in that kind of 23 to, to 17 type range in a top 25, I think it's pretty like, pretty fair right now, you know, considering yeah. how much change Tennessee has, who they do bring back. As you mentioned, a good point there for Mississippi State. It's not all just new guys you're bringing in it's also who do you get to convince to come back and for Tennessee's sake you know getting John Fulgerson back and him being healthy would go a long way for them to achieving their goals next season having Josiah Jordan James stay healthy and another offseason will help having Vescovi be in a different role where he's not the primary ball handler where he can maybe be more of an off-ball shooter more often I think that's going to be big for Tennessee too so it's not just you know new guys it's you know who you get to keep and, and who you bring back so I'm curious how do you think Tennessee, what, what do you think are some fair expectations for the Vols kind of early on here heading into next season? Yeah, I think that's, to me, that's about the right range. I mean, I, I think right now, 
which is crazy. Um, and maybe it just shows the trust that we kind of have in these two coaches. But like, I, I do think Alabama and Arkansas are the, the two best teams on paper right now. Um, I don't think that they're, they're not going anywhere based on what we've seen Oates and Musselman do. Um, but I think Tennessee is right behind that. Like, I think they're, they're in that tier with Kentucky, which as we said, Kentucky, I think last year kind of poked our hole in the let's just rank <laughs> Kentucky in the top five every year in the preseason um, method that we've been using for years and years and years. And I'm guilty of that. Like, I just, it's like, like clockwork every year I, I sit down to make my SEC preseason rankings. Like, well, all of a sudden Kentucky finds their way to number one. Um, that's not the case anymore. And I think last year kind of poked a hole in that a bit. Um, but I do think, of course, as we know, that's probably going to be more of an outlier than it is going to be a, a regular trend. But I think you put Tennessee in that category with Kentucky, um, Auburn. Uh, I think I would still put Florida in that range. And Mississippi State, I, I, I really do. Like, I feel confident in putting Mississippi State in kind of that same category. And I think those teams, it's really going to be hard to – or it's going to be interesting to see kind of which which of those teams come along quicker. But I also think you look at a team like Tennessee, and even if it takes them a little longer because they are going to be so young – I think they're the type of team that if you're just talking upside, like in terms of potential and the highest upside, I think their upside is probably better maybe than, than some of those teams you compare them to. Uh, it's just, can it all come together? Like I think their upside potentially is better than a team like Florida. Um, you know, is it better than a, than a Mississippi state or Auburn? I don't know. Like I, because I just, I'm, I'm so sold on Mississippi state. And I know that a lot of people are hesitant to do that because, you know, Ben Allen hasn't done great there uh, overall, but I just think when you look at the talent wise, they're going to have experience. They're going to be one of the more experienced teams in the league. So then it's where you start playing the comparison game and, and okay. Cause right. <laughs> somebody's got to finish one through 14. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think overall though, I still think you're putting Tennessee in that category. And I don't even know that, I think Alabama, I'm I'm all in on. Like, I think that they are a top-five team. Arkansas, yes, they're going to be really good, but could I see Arkansas fluctuate a little bit next season? Maybe. It's it's possible. Um, but but I think you put Tennessee in that category with those other teams that, that I just talked about because you see what they can get to. Like, you see the potential that's there. And it just goes back to what we talked about when we first started this conversation of just being able to address, okay, you know you're going to have less experience. Um, you know, it may take some of these guys in any of these freshman classes. Like there are always guys that maybe you're like, okay, it takes them a little bit longer to get the grasp of things than you thought, but just having a normal off season again, I will cause, you know, some of that to speed along a little bit quicker than maybe it did last year. So uh, I think it is like, it's a fair to say that Tennessee should be a top 25 team. Um, right now they'll start the season in the top 25, you know, barring any exits or anything like that. Um, then it's just saying, okay, what's the height they can reach? Can they win the sec next season? I don't know. Like, I don't know that I, I feel like that they have the, the same type of upside as, as an Alabama or an Arkansas or teams like that. But I do think it's fair to say that, you know, can they get there if everything goes according to plan? If, I think for me, that is John Fulkerson being the John Fulkerson we think he could be because he adds such a different dynamic on a team like this that is going to be much younger and have a lot of new guys that are going to be playing different positions. I think that's the the difference right there for me. Um, if Tennessee is going to reach that level that's maybe higher than we project early on, I think it's John Fulkerson that gets them there, um, which, again, is certainly possible. So uh, it, it's a fun conversation because – uh, you know, there's going to be naturally one of these teams that we, we are so sold on and they just flop like we see it all the time. Um, but, you know, there's probably going to be a team too down there that we have no expectations for that all of a sudden is going to make a, a jump up the SEC, which we've seen happen for years now. Uh, so it, it's hard to project. But but I think Tennessee's right there in that discussion when you're talking about um, the, the teams going into the season that you're going to feel pretty confident are going to be in the top 25 somewhere. Last topic here. Again, Blake, I appreciate you coming on and, and being a guest host with me here. That um, game we're recording this a little early, but for for this will be coming out at the beginning of of the week. Gene and I have talked a couple different times about Rick Barnes, and I think it's easy for you know us being kind of right, especially me being right in the middle of everything in Knoxville, and, and you know being in the nitty gritty discussion about Rick Barnes and, and how all fans feel about that and everything, and, and you know can kind of lose sight about how maybe national people or you know people a little further out 
than just right here, right in the middle of things in Knoxville, feel it, feel about it and see about it. And you're not like super far away. You, you're over in, in Nashville. Right. So it's not like you're like, you know, out on the West Coast or anything like that. And, and super <laughs> far away from everything and, and disconnected from UT athletics. But I'm curious your, your thoughts on Rick Barnes, because I think a lot of all fans, you know, do like him, respect him and think he's a great coach and or at least a good coach. And I think that he's, you know, has done a good job of, of building back up this Tennessee men's basketball program. But there's obviously a lot of frustration with his, his inability to, to have a, a lot of success in the postseason, at least in the NCAA tournament. You, know, you look at that Sweet 16 team, they were a controversial foul call away from you know going to Tennessee's second ever Elite Eight uh, in program history. They, but they have had a lot of good success in the SEC tournament, You know, getting to the finals uh, in two straight years. And, and really, I think they've won at least one game in almost, I think, I want to say every year, if not, but one maybe of Rick Barnes' time at, at Tennessee and Tennessee historically not a very good SEC tournament team. So I, I'm curious, you know, as, a, as someone who doesn't live in Knoxville and doesn't have to deal with, you know, the opinions and stuff of Rick Barnes week in and week out, what is your view of him? Is he a guy who has been underwhelming to you? Has he been you know, surprisingly good? Is he is he one of the top, you know, three coaches in the SEC? You know, what, what is your opinion on Rick Barnes? You know, I think we always look at the most recent thing and we, we weigh that more than anything. Like, I feel like that's it's recency bias in play. Like, we will always weigh the most recent result higher than maybe the overall body of work. And, and fair or unfair, I think that's just the way we do it. Um, so I think it's, it's easy to understand why some people may be frustrated with Rick Barnes at this point, just based on how this past season went, um, and say, well, I know I told you he could never get a team to that point, and and maybe get them to, to that big spot and, um, you know, all the expectations in the preseason. Let's, let's remember this too. Preseason expectations are, they're, they're set by like us. Like we, we are sort of like, we set these expectations knowing that, mm-hmm. you know, from a coaching staff standpoint, Rick Barnes is never going to come out and say, yeah, we, we should win the national championship going into the season. Because what, what does that do? Like that all, all of a sudden, like, okay, well, the championship, national championship or bust. Like you're not going to do that. And so I think it, it's, it's different. To, to look at it that way and for me uh, the randomness of the ncaa tournament is always something that i will i will point out because i i just think everyone's knock on rick barnes is that he's never won a national championship he's only got to a final four um you know at texas he couldn't win a national championship at texas he couldn't do this and that um, and now you kind of look at him in tennessee we, we knew the first couple of seasons at tennessee were going to be the way they were that was no surprise but yeah. then I think to counter that with the next two seasons and to, to have, you know, two of the most impressive seasons, you know, that program's had in a while. And you would compare some of those teams and say, well, some of those teams maybe, you know, of course, we're talking about the one from 1819. Well, that team should have went further uh, on paper. Yes, you can you can point that out. But the tournament is just one of those things where getting to the tournament is a very hard thing to do. Um and I think because of the body of work he has built throughout his career, look at how many times this guy has gotten a team to the tournament, period. Uh, it's not as easy. I mean, just ask some of these teams, right? Like, here, here's something I'll point out. I know this is kind of veering off a little bit, but let's let's just think about this overall. If you look at the SEC standings from last season, you go to the bottom half of the SEC, which starts with, let's see, I want to say that starts with Kentucky. Kentucky finished, what was it? I think they were eighth last season, eighth or ninth. Then Mississippi State. I, I know the seeding or whatever, doesn't matter. But mm-hmm. Kentucky has won a national, John Calipari has won a national championship, been to Final Fours. Ben Howland, Mississippi State finishes behind them or, or right there with them. Um, Howland, been to Final Four. Bruce Pearl, Auburn, been to Final Four. Tom Crean, Georgia, been to Final Four. Frank Martin, South Carolina, been to Final Four. Buzz Williams, like Jerry Sackhouse. Like, that's the bottom half of the SEC from a coaching standpoint. Like, those guys have been to the height of college basketball in terms of making it to the Final Four. Not all those guys, but the ones I mentioned. Like, think about that. That's the bottom half of this particular league that we're in right here in the SEC. Um, I know it's one season, but that is the point thing that I would like to point out would be it. somebody's, like we said, somebody's got to finish 1 through 14, right? And I think for Rick Barnes... He has had Tennessee in that upper echelon, you know, and yes, you can point out some of the seasons they've struggled, but I don't think some of the seasons they've struggled, the expectations should not have been that much different. And we knew they were going to struggle. Like I said, those first two years, you knew kind of how things were going to unfold. 
But to have them, you know, at one point at number one in the country, uh, to have them, I mean, think, just think about this. This is so fascinating to me. They go 31 and six overall in 2018-19, and they still finish, you know, technically whatever. Like, it's like you look at the league that year, like we talked about earlier. Um, it's still one of those that you just kind of look at and say, man, I, I think it's easy to look at maybe some of the inconsistencies you've seen at times. But overall, Tennessee as a program is in a much better place than some of these other teams. And it's just like you see what can happen for a program whenever you know, look at Vanderbilt. For, and I know this is an extreme example, but Vanderbilt is one of the few power conference programs we've seen that is just completely bottomed out. Like they yeah. went to the bottom and look at how hard it is to get back up from that. Um, they still haven't done it. And I don't know when they're going to be able to do it. Like, I don't know that it's going to happen next season. I don't know that they're going to be out of the bottom four of the SEC. Um, so that is something I would all when judging a coach overall. And like I said, I, I'm not going to say that there is no room for criticism because there is like this team last year, they underachieved from our standpoint uh, based on the talent. We thought they should have achieved much more, but I think overall, there are not a lot of coaches out there like Rick Barnes <laughs> from the standpoint of an entire body of work uh, and the success that he's had. So I think uh, to me, like I'm willing to give him that benefit of the doubt for someone that's been doing this as long as he has and, you know, has won as many games as he has and, and has just gotten teams to the, the tournament as many times as he has. And yes, is his, his record in the tournament going to just be stellar? And you look at it and say, man, I, you know, it's not anything that stands out. Like, what is he? I think he's 24 and 24 in the NCAA tournament. Um, that's 500, but still, like, that's 48 games in the tournament, right? And mm -hmm. I just don't, you know, a lot of other coaches aren't going to come close to that. So I think that's something to me that, that I'll always kind of look at, and I know he's kind of on that back part of his career at this point, uh, but I still think that for me, look at what they're still doing recruiting-wise. They're still getting the talent in there. They're still putting together a roster that that should be capable of winning a lot of games. Now, they may underachieve doing it some seasons, but I think overall, it's still something where I'm like, this is still probably one of the better coaches in the game in terms of navigating college basketball. And I just think you're going to have some of those years where it doesn't come together. You're going to have some of those tournaments where you get put in a position where things just do not go your way. But overall, like, I can't look at this guy's body at work and be like, oh, I'm just not sold on this guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think that's a, a pretty fair answer. And you know, like I said, it, it's it's easy to kind of get wrapped up in the minutia and everything and the, the the conversation here. You know, you know, like I said, being entrenched in this week in, week out at, at Knoxville and then just in the Tennessee fan base. That's why I always like asking, you know, somewhat outsiders or, or definite outsiders th their opinions on stuff and see, you know, are we crazy? Are we, you know, are Vol fans crazy? Are people in Knoxville? Are we, are we you know, are we right on this? Are we wrong on this? I, I think it's just interesting to hear kind of an outsider's perspective. And I think it, it is good to have that kind of 1,000 foot perspective where you, it, I've, I've kind of said this on the podcast before. I don't know if I said it quite as well as you did, but like, yeah, I mean, you look at the consistency that Rick Barnes has been able to have at the program for Tennessee and just getting to the tournament is something Tennessee doesn't do that often. There, there's only been a, a, a handful of times where Tennessee has gotten to the NCAA tournament like four or five years in a row. Yeah, that was under, yeah. you know, obviously Bruce Pearl did that. You look at Jerry Green did that, and then Green was his own fault why he didn't last longer at Tennessee. But, you know, Ray Mears and Don DeVoe had time, but that's like, I mean, that's kind of it. You, you've had a run of, of good basketball in the 70s, uh, and, you know, kind of, late, I guess, late 60s, probably two for Ray Mears. You obviously had... Bruce Pearl's run that was that was incredible for the the six years he was at Tennessee, but then what Rick Barnes has done is probably like, I would I would say in modern wise it's it's second best behind what Pearl's done, yeah. but then you you know when when Mears was coaching the NCAA tournament was constructed a little differently and the SEC was done a little differently and stuff too. Well, and listen, and I was gonna say like think about the strength the difference in the strength of the conference too. Like right. Bruce Pearl and I'm not look I'm huge Bruce Pearl fan, but like I'm not the conference was not what it was when Bruce Pearl was there and what it is now. And, um, you know, like you said, even go back like in the day, like that's what I think you have to remember too, is the strength of the conference has gotten so much better and it's so much harder to win now. So I think you got to put that, if you're going to have the discussion, you got to remember, you can't just compare every era the same. Like this is a much different era for SEC basketball. And it, it does, it makes it tougher to, to be right there year in and year out. Yeah. And, and granted Pearl did go up against, you know, 
those Billy Donovan of Florida teams. Yeah. But that was it, it was a much, I guess, top heavier SEC yeah. than what we've seen in the last five six years. Where, like you said, you, you have more depth and stuff now. It, it was very top heavy because you had Kentucky and uh, and Florida really competing and, and being really, you know once once Calipari got in there at least Kentucky and Florida being really good. But that was I mean there wasn't a whole lot of. Vanderbilt was fine. They they could win a couple of games in the NCAA tournament. You, you had some teams that could do a, a few things here and there. LSU, you know, was LSU is kind of always like decent. I feel like they they have years where they're really good, but they're kind of always right there. And and you know, you expect them to be not a bad team uh, year in year out in men's basketball. But uh, Blake, this has been fantastic. I, I appreciate it having you on. Uh, would love to have you on longer, but I know you got to go uh, and do some take care of some other things. But this has been fantastic. If our listeners want to follow you and, and your SEC coverage, where can they find you? And I know, obviously, you do podcasting. I was going to mention that top of the show until I forgot, but you do podcasting, so if they want to listen to some more stuff you do, uh, direct our listeners to where they can find your work and how they can listen and read and, you know, view your stuff. Yeah, I always appreciate it, uh, Nathaniel. Yeah, southeastern14.com. Uh, that's all the SEC stuff uh, you were talking about earlier. We do, of course, basketball, uh, baseball, and football. Uh, everyone, you know, who's listened to this and followed my work before knows I'm I'm a basketball guy, and um, you know, just just really enjoy uh, covering the conference. You can find yeah all of our stuff we do over there at southeastern14.com. Uh, and yeah, you mentioned we have a podcast, daily podcast, five days a week. Um, the 14, southeastern 14. You can search for either one of those in your podcast app, uh, and you'll find us there. Just yeah, covering uh, the big three sports in the sec uh, lots of basketball talk lots of baseball talk of course you got your football but uh yeah we, we enjoy our basketball and uh yeah it's i mean it's just you know th- this league now as we said it's it's so different and it's a lot more fun to to cover and keep up with uh, than it used to be so yeah you can check out all this stuff uh southeastern14.com and uh, yeah follow me on twitter at the blake level well blake it's been a true pleasure to have you on we'll have to have you on again sometime thank you so much man sounds great Nathaniel. thanks man <laughs>